Hello and welcome to this podcast discussion about why local and U.S. bond yields spiked in 2023, sponsored by PSG Wealth. Now, movements in the bond market have occupied media headlines over the past year. In the South African case, the higher yields have reflected higher repo rates and poor sentiment around the government's finances. While in the case of the U.S., it reflected the higher interest rate environment and fears around higher inflation. My name is Mbiwa Gavaza, economist and a writer over at the Business Dead Financial Mail, and I'll be your host for what looks to be a very engaging conversation around the topic, around yields as well as bonds. So to help us to make sense of it all, we are joined by Adrian Pask, who is the Chief Investment Officer over at PSG Well. Adrian, always a pleasure to have you. Hi, Medeo. It's good to be um, on the podcast again. Now, there's a lot that can be said about the way that the market has sort of gone up and down in 2023. I mean, we are at the tail end of the year. What are some of the main reasons behind uh, the elevated bond yields in South Africa? Yeah, it's actually one of those areas of the market that typically sort of the, one of the more boring parts of the market, conventionally speaking. Normally, it's all the equity instruments that get the spotlight. But I think what we've seen over the preceding four years or so has, has really transformed the backdrop for bond markets and bond investors. And this is largely to do with significant changes in both monetary and fiscal policy. So obviously, through COVID, the policymakers had to make significant adjustments to keep economies afloat. Part of that entailed bringing interest rates down to multi-decade lows, and part of it had to do with taking on more debt uh, to keep the economies going. So this is a period of all the grants and coupons, and not just in South Africa and the US, but most governments had to go through very similar things from a fiscal and monetary policy perspective. But naturally, as that passed, it's things that you need to try and unwind and normalize. So that's largely what we've seen. So for most countries, but in South Africa in particular, interest rates moved quite a lot higher from where they were in the lows of, of COVID. And obviously that has a, a impact on bond markets. Typically bond yields want to be marginally ahead of where money market rates are. So if interest rates are propped up, then bond yields start to rise, which is typically good from a yield perspective for new investors, but not great for investors who are already in those markets who then start to see the capital losses. But also because there is significant debt incurred through COVID, you run into a problem where you need to pay off those debts eventually. And also what we see now is we need to look at the maturity profiles of government debt in particular. So what I mean by that is to say, if we look at the total debt issuance from the government in terms of how they raised fundings and the different durations of the different bonds, how much of that debt is now being called upon in the foreseeable future? Because what they will have to do is to obviously return capital to to bondholders to pay off those debts. But if they still need that debt, they will have to reissue debt at higher prevailing interest rates and higher prevailing bond yields. 
So in the South African case, it's been the higher interest rates, higher debt levels. But I think an additional component, as, as I, I would imagine most people would agree, South Africa is in quite a bind from a sentiment perspective. You know, for outside investors looking at how our fiscal situation is being dealt with, it doesn't really instill a lot of confidence in the markets because a lot of our spending revolves around digging ourselves out of the same hole. So this goes into the unpleasant debate of bailing out the SOEs, which is essentially not really productive capital because it's driven or pointed towards um, avoiding a crisis of sorts where what you really want to do with debt, just like a business really, is where you deploy debt onto your balance sheet. Ideally, what you want is to do something more productive that's going to generate a yield that is in excess of the the yield that you need to pay on the on the bond. So you're essentially borrowing money to do something that's going to add value to your business. You won't have a problem paying off that debt and ultimately you would be more profitable or bigger, grow faster. But that's really not the narrative that we see in the South African fiscus. What we're doing is essentially saying we have no choice. If we don't bail out these SOEs, we just simply won't have electricity. We have to incur more debt. And that's the the sad story. And obviously, that's when investors start to punish you for incurring more debt. And, and that's largely what we've seen in, in the South African case. It is an interesting scenario that South Africa finds itself in. And I like the fact that you've been able to quite comprehensively help us to get a view of what the market looks like and, you know, some of the things that are affecting these elevated bond yields. And when someone thinks about the way that interest rates have, I guess, changed in the last couple of years driven by COVID, some of those capital gains and losses do start becoming quite material for a lot of people. But one of the conversations that you and I have had time and time again, Adrian, is this issue around looking at the short, the medium and the long term and more the long term because you're likely to realize better returns over time than in the short term. So when looking at it from that point of view, what is the long term return required for South African bonds? Well, I mean, typically what you would model in a portfolio, whether it be a fixed income portfolio, a multi-asset portfolio using bonds in part, is it, the long run yield is typically inflation plus two and a half or percent. So if you think of our mid-range target of four and a half, you would assume that the bond yield should be running at around seven. It's currently running at around 11. So that premium, that risk premium that we spoke of, that negativity that's being priced in, adds another 4% to the yield on offer. So I guess you could say it, it's a good thing and a bad thing. It's obviously an indication that investors aren't really confident in the growth story for South Africa, which is the, the negative side of the story. But from an investment perspective, as long as the government doesn't default on debt, investors have opportunity to generate returns that are far in excess of what bonds typically generate. So I think that's the more positive view on things. And I think that's always the disconnect between the economic reality and investment prospects. What we often see in markets is that investors tend to only look at the economy and if things aren't looking great, then they want to stay away from markets. But it is often the case that those things are, are priced in and advance. And the real trick is to figure out if it's priced in excessively or not sufficiently. 
And that's where either the risk or opportunity will sit. And I think our mindset at the moment is that those yields are are just too long at the moment. So they, they're too high and investors are likely in a position where they can generate it's almost equity-like returns from bond markets, which is really unusual. Very unusual indeed, Adrian, you know, the fact that yields are where they are. And like you said, the type of investment that can give you equity-like returns because we've typically thought of them as being more steady type of investment. So now we have to then switch over to look at what's going on in uh, the US because that's where we're basing today's discussion, looking at the local market and then overseas, perhaps one of, if not the biggest bond market in the world being the US. I guess it's the same question that we asked about the South African market, which is to say, what are some of the main reasons for the elevated bond yields that we are seeing over in the US? Yeah, I think that's the the really interesting part of the conversation. So South African bonds don't stand isolated from what's happening in, in US markets. So typically, US short-dated bonds are, are seen as the risk-free asset class. And then you would add, in theory, a couple of percent for inflation differentials and a couple of percent to account for South Africa-specific risks. And then you would get to a slightly higher yield for South African bonds because it's seen as a, a riskier asset. But it's interesting to me, if you look at the the hard facts for US bonds in particular, there's definitely cause for concern. So if you look at debt maturing at the moment, so that same debt maturity profile that I referred to earlier for the US and looking at their government bonds that's maturing pretty soon, and that will have to be refinanced at these higher yields. So that's almost half of their bond issuance maturing over the next four years. And unless interest rates come down within that period, they're going to sit with much, much bigger debt funding cost. And I think investors are starting to price in some of the risks there. To our mind, probably not sufficiently so because the narrative around growth is still reasonably positive. So there's still a view among some market participants that everything's going to be okay. But there's other interesting things that has really happened over the last 12 months in particular, but also that's still ongoing. So if you think of the, I mentioned that the debt has been rising for many governments, not just South Africa, and the US debt to GDP is at 130%, which is very, very high. We've seen rating agencies take action as well. So the US debt has actually been downgraded over this period. Which, quite, which is an interesting contrast to what we've seen in South Africa. I think the outlook isn't great, but both S&P and Moody's have actually affirmed our outlook is stable, which I think would be maybe a, you know, a bit of, to the surprise of, of many of the listeners. And then I think something else to keep in mind is that because your debt to GDP ratio is so high at the moment, you're especially sensitive to anything that changes on either the debt or the GDP front. And the way we look at it at the moment is debt levels are, are continuing to rise and the debt funding cost is continuing to rise. So that debt to GDP ratio is set to increase. And at the same time, there's still this looming discussion around what is the, the probability of a recession in the US, which we continue to think is quite high, just given the fact that interest rates are, are high. And then lastly, just on a more practical level, is the fact that the Chinese is effectively the largest external buyer of U.S. bonds, or used to be. They they built up a significant reserve of U.S. treasuries, and they they're starting 
for a period of time, actually, they've offloaded, they've tilted their position into gold as a, as a store of value, which is quite interesting. So they seem to have lost faith. And all those things as a collective are starting to affect bonds. So in our view, there is a view that bond yields are, are much higher than what they've been over the last five to 10 years. But I think that the longer term perspective is really, really important. As you said in your introduction, if you look at where bond yields are now relative to 40 year history, and whether the debt levels are and where the risks are relative to that same 40-year history, interest rates are very high and risks are very high, but the bond yields are still very low. So I, I personally wouldn't get too excited that yields are coming down in a very aggressive way very soon. What is interesting at the moment, Adrian, is the fact that globally, we find ourselves in an interesting moment. And it's been the case for the last two to three years where that crisis, particularly around COVID-19 and the recovery thereof, has put economies around the world in similar situations, fighting similar battles. We've got inflation, we've got interest rate hikes. And now you and I are talking about the fact that we have yields that some would say are out of whack, both in the US and in South Africa. So a big question then becomes, you know, the policy response. How would you say that US fiscal policy has impacted those uh, bond yields that we're talking about? Yeah, and I, I think that's really the million dollar question. And, and I think that's what many investors are keeping a very close eye on because it's quite a complicated debate, really. Investors are, are keeping an eye on, on US inflation numbers. They seem to be coming down quite nicely. But actually, if you look at the core inflation part, which is really the driver of long-term inflation, it has actually been a little bit stickier. So that's something to keep an eye on. But in terms of the Fed's commitment to raise rates to fight inflation, they might be at a very uncomfortable crossroads in the event that that recession does come through. Because what do you do in an environment where there's large-scale bankruptcies and large-scale job losses? You put the economy through significant pain but you can't really cut rates to support the economy again because your inflation number is still, still much higher than what you would like it to be. So they're going to have to make a difficult maneuver there. But I think there were some clues in, in COVID as well. I think when push comes to shove and the, and the Fed needs to decide between inflation and jobs, historically they've indicated that they would rather focus on jobs and make sure that employment is in reasonably good shape. I think they will be able to tolerate some normalization. The US unemployment levels are, are very, very low. So I think they'll accept that that needs to normalize to, to something that is a bit more sustainable. But at some point, they, they will have to say, we need to intervene to save the economy again. And US elections are around the corner. You don't want voters to be negative on where the economy is going. So it's getting really, really interesting. And it's no longer just a theoretical discussion that you can just plot into models. You need to keep a very keen eye on how these various discussions and things develop over time. So long story short, I think it's very difficult to tell what they're going to do at the moment. The, the market seems to think that they'll be cutting interest rates. My view is that I think that would be a bit premature. As I say, the core inflation rates, I'm not convinced that they're still tracking lower to where they need to be or where the target is. But let's see how they navigate the situation where there's a recession. We were initially thinking, as you know, we might see a recession this year. We're running out of time for, for that view. But just given the backdrop, I think it's, it's unimaginable that we won't see a recession of sorts. 
So what you're characterizing for us, Adrian, is once again, I think I like the term that you used to say that this is no longer theoretical. This is stuff that's happening in the real economy. And it's an ongoing debate just around what is an appropriate policy response because monetary policy is meant to be just one of a basket of policies that are meant to be used to pull and pull at certain levels, you know, depending on the situation. And right now, what you've just spoken to us begs the question about how might the economic stress that is actually happening impact the the Fed's commitment to raise rates in the U.S. because it's no longer just a simple, hey, we must push up interest rates if we're going to push inflation down. How do you see that debate or conversation developing over time? Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's exactly right. I think you know, quite in tune with the comments around careful balancing act between labor and inflation. So I think we might also head into a position where the fiscal side might come back into play a little bit stronger. So, I mean, with elections in particular, there's always a lot of discussion around policies, in particular tax, healthcare, and those kind of things. And, and they can in themselves also have an economic impact and affect jobs and inflation in themselves. So it might appear that the fiscal policy framework might come through as the, the unlikely tool to alter things, or I should say unlikely as well, and un- unanticipated by the market more broadly. I wouldn't be surprised if we see policymakers lean on that part of policy to try and manipulate things into the area where they, they want it. So, yeah, that's sort of where, where I would think they, they're leaning towards this alternative measures to, to manage for the outcomes that they want. All right. So, a good place for us to end and put everything that's uh, happened together, whether it's uh, the yields that we've uh, spoken about in South Africa and in the US, the different policy responses that are affecting these different yields is the why question, right? Because we've spoken quite a bit about what things are looking like right now, how things were looking like perhaps in the past, some of the sentiment around U.S. bonds, for example. You know, I think you use the example of how China seems to be buying into other asset classes a little bit more now, you know, as a, as a show of reduced faith in U.S. bonds and treasuries. So the big question now is the why. Why should investors take note of elevated bond yields? Well, I think I think more importantly, maybe for the South African case, it's the balance is, is tilted towards opportunity as opposed to risk. So don't be blind to the potential opportunities that are there. There's a lot of negative press around the fiscus, but it's actually creating opportunities. In the US case, I think my advice would be don't be looted into thinking bond yields are too high at the moment on a very short-term view you can make that conclusion. But I think if you have a longer term view and, and look at the backdrop, I think there's more than enough to be concerned about. So so just be careful. But I think ultimately, what's also really important is I think almost unfortunately, I feel like the, the bearer of bad news, I think we've got to expect a lot more volatility next year. No one knows what to expect. There's a lot of elections coming. We seem to be poised for a, a lot of disruptive news and potential for quite a few surprises on the inflation front, interest rates, fiscal policy. So I think, unfortunately, we're in for another volatile year, especially in the bond markets. 
So that's where we end off today's discussion. It has been a fascinating and engaging one. Adrian sort of ending off signaling that we might have a little bit more volatility that we have to deal with in the bond market over the next year or so. One of the things that's always good about Adrian is that balance between the opportunity but also the, the threats that exist in the market because he does say that you can't take a lot of things at face value. Yes, there might be opportunity, but you just need to be careful just around how we characterize that opportunity, especially if we look at it in the long term. I actually hadn't thought about it, but it is an interesting one to think about the fact that today's discussion is about the US and South African bond markets and the fact that there is that volatility that is likely to come with the fact that both countries have big elections that are coming up in the in the next year that are likely going to be affecting policy in one way or another. And that will then feed into sentiment and then that will then feed into the market. And who knows what type of conversation we'll be having this time next year about uh, these uh, bond yields yet again. So it has been a great one. We were with the, the Chief Investment Officer over at the PSG Wealth. That is Adrian Pask. Adrian, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Matteo. And thanks for everybody who took the time to listen. So that's where we end off. Uh, I've been your host, Mariwa Gavaza, writer with the Business Day and Financial Mail. Remember that you can subscribe for free episodes on iono.fm, Spotify, player.fm, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your your podcasts.